Support for Best of Belfast comes from listeners just like me who love Northern Ireland and believe we have a better story to tell. A massive thanks to all of you listening who have already joined the Producers Club, especially our Titanic producers, Barclays Eagle Labs, Ulster University, Young Enterprise Northern Ireland, Gavin Wall, Peter Dixon, and of course, the Orma Baths team. Today's episode wouldn't exist without you. To find out more about how you can support independent ad-free media, get invitations to live podcasts, and submit questions to our guests, please visit bestofbelfast.org. Thanks so much, and really hope you enjoy today's show. Yeah, yeah, I've already got the little mic recording, so let us seem, let us seem all right. Uh, I usually have a sound check question, although in this case, it's kind of irrelevant because <laughs> <laughs> we're all handling each other's. <laughs> I'll ask you it anyway because I, I, it's always kind of interesting to be a bit of a bit of a big one to jump off so late at night for you. But do you have like an earliest childhood memory? Wow, <laughs> what a question! Um, it's weird. I actually have always been notoriously bad at remembering things, even even like as as close as yesterday. When when I come into work on a Monday morning, people ask me what I did at the weekend. And I'm like, <laughs> uh, what did I do at the weekend? <laughs> I think um, my very earliest memory is probably at four thereabouts, which seems quite late. Um, do you know those yellow and red? cars that you get when you're kids and they have a little door on the side that you can kind of hop in and it's kind of fred flintstone-esque your yes. feet go through the bottom <laughs> I, have a, <laughs> I have a memory i have no idea what they're called but i have a memory of tearing up the street on one of those circa 1990 unbelievable <laughs> the, the odd like sunny day in belfast just flying up the street like fred flintstone <laughs> so what was your childhood street like what was the like because the, the childhood street's so important it's like because i mm. grew up like in a like in a cul-de-sac and like i was out in that wee cul-de-sac bit like nearly every day of my life just tearing <laughs> same, it up you know what i mean same exact thing for me yeah i moved my my first house was a cul-de-sac and i moved when i was five to ah. another house on a cul-de-sac um so it, it went from like a uh a cul-de-sac with about six houses to a cul-de-sac with about 12 so the road oh, wow. was like twice as long which meant there was <laughs> more space for football more space Dude. for skateboards you name it way more room for activities unbelievable i know uh, yeah you don't have the cars coming and going <laughs> <laughs> awesome so i'm just going to read a quick wee bio just to kind of set context for the people listening in so here's your big your big like wrestler intro, okay? Like I feel like I need to put on like a big presenting voice. Uh, so Ruben Skinner is a Belfast born and bred videographer currently living in Sydney, Australia with his wife Estella and three kids, Dora Rose. I'm going to say Tobin, Tobin. <laughs> <laughs> it's Estelle um, and Dora Rose, Tobin and Zeke. Tobin and Zeke. Okay, I was like, Tobin, I, I didn't want to just, I was going to be like, you know, I'm just going to confidently say it and just like hope for the best. But then I was like, a beard last minute. I was like, I'm going to ask him, going to ask him how you say Tobin. Uh, so having initially studied education with art and design, Ruben moved to Japan in 2010 to teach English. 
where they were caught up in the devastating 2011 earthquake. That's wild. I want to actually jump into that for a wee second, if you don't mind. Um, But Mm. upon his return to Belfast, Ruben set up a small video production company working initially in weddings and events before transitioning to commercial and brand video content. After eight years of working with brands from Northern Ireland, the UK and the US, Ruben ended up having the opportunity to go and work for tech unicorn Canva in Sydney an opportunity to which he boldly and gladly said yes. Since then, Ruben has been carving out the roadmap for how the multi-billion dollar design company offers video as a tool for making Canva into a household name. And you know these episodes, they kind of go all over the place, but kind of things I'm interested in learning from Ruben today and talking about are all about relocation, particularly relocation with a family. How on earth do you get hired by a unicorn and how to do creative work that moves the needle. All this and more coming up on today's show. Hi, I'm Ruben Skinner, and you're listening to Best of Belfast. All right, folks, what's the crack? My name is Matthew Thompson, and welcome to Best of Belfast, the podcast that celebrates Northern Ireland and the incredible people in it. The show is brought to you from our recording studio in Ormo Baths, Barclay Eagle Labs, a co-working space right here in the heart of the city centre. Support for Best of Belfast comes from listeners just like you who pledge as little as £1 a month to join the Producers Club, get invitations to live podcasts and support us on our journey to 100 interviews. Big, big thanks to all of you who make the show possible, especially our Titanic producers, Barclays Eagle Labs, Ulster University, Gavin Wall and of course, the wonderful Ormo Baths team. To find out more, get in touch or check out our back catalogue of over 80 incredible interviews please visit bestofbelfast.org. That's it for me for now. It's time to jump straight into our conversation with this week's local legend. Really hope that you enjoy. Okay, that'll work. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just on all that, like, I mean, talk to me about Japan. I had no idea about that until you sent it through. Yeah, it's kind of a chapter of our life that we, we kind of just pulled the curtain over and moved on from. Um, wow. I would like to say quickly, actually, I think it was quite a process to get through it. I think there was even an element of post-traumatic stress from it. Yeah, um, I bet. Yeah, so this is probably late 2010. It just seems like such an age. Um, but we, Estelle and I had uh, graduated from Stramilis uh, as teachers in 2009. Um, and teaching was something that I knew I wasn't going to pursue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pre- pretty much from the first semester. But I just kind of, uh, my dad encouraged me to finish the degree. You have to um, finish your degree. <laughs> yeah that was pretty much it um yeah so when i finished when i finished the degree uh i had i was kind of putting my feelers out there for work in the video industry um i've been lucky enough to do some work experience in the bbc i'd also worked for about four months on a film set in 2007 during the summer of of one of my university years um and that was that was really awesome and i loved it i kind of fell in love with like media and video and film and all that kind of stuff um but i didn't really have a clear path to get into it um my degree was in education with art and design so i had a bit of a creative outlet during my degree at least that kind of kept the 
passion going. Um, and when I graduated, I subbed for a while in primary schools, um, which was quite funny um, experience. <laughs> it was purely just to kind of get a bit of money to hopefully start fund this side hustle, you know, but I hadn't really gotten that far yet. I didn't own any cameras. It was 2009. So to I didn't know decent- what a side hustle was. <laughs> I know. Yeah. In 2009, cameras were big money. Um, and YouTube didn't really have thousands of amazing tutorials on how to like shoot and edit and be a, you know, video wizard. Um, but, uh, subbing was a sure kind of paycheck and it was easy to get to work. So I kind of fell into that for a while and Estelle and I got, um, an, an offer to go out to Japan and teach English. Wow. Um, well, actually she got the offer and, uh, I kind of piggybacked. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we moved over and, um, yeah, it just, it, to be honest, it was never really a fit for either of us. Um, and we were there, I think three months I was teaching a class at the time of about four to five year old kids. Um, and it just out of nowhere, I just started to feel the earth shake, which is a very unusual experience when you're from Northern Ireland, because <laughs> I guess we're probably the, the most mild and safe place in the world, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, it was a bit of a surreal moment. I, I remember asking the kids who were four and five years old, it's like, what? what's going on? And they were like, I think this is an earthquake. So thankfully, yeah, thankfully they're all very well trained um, from a young age. And we got onto the desks and uh, kind of just, we had to just ride it out, I guess. And things falling everywhere. And it was just a bit kind of surreal for me. Got straight on the phone to Estelle and was making sure she was all right. Um, and yeah, I think probably the thing that you don't realize with earthquakes is as as absolutely insane as it is in the spike when it happens, um, you just continually get these aftershocks. And the aftershocks that happened with with us were were significant. Like they were pretty much their own valid earthquakes. Um, they just kind of get dubbed as aftershocks. And they were coming wow. every like two, three hours. Um, so it's just this uneasy feeling of, uh, you know, when's the next one going to be? Are we going to be safe? What's happening? You know, uh, it's a very weird experience. I think the thing obviously that motivated us to move home was, uh, the nuclear plant that melted, that started to melt down. Um, there was a lot of uncertainty around, uh, whether there was, um, radiation getting into the water and all that kind of stuff. And I think for us, neither of us were overly passionate about life in Japan in the first place. And we kind of just took it as, you know what, I think it's time to just come back home. Um, we got back, I think we got back about a week, a week and a half after the earthquake happened. Um, we pretty much just packed up and, and went, and thankfully our employer was completely understanding. He was, he was great. Um, but when we got back, there was this sort of like fallout period, um, where I, I, I feel like we both had a bit of a post-traumatic stress, um, experience and it took us a while to just kind of find our feet, um, and figure out what was the next step. I think one of the benefits from it, if you could say that in hindsight, it was pretty much a hard stop for me in teaching. It was kind of like, you know what? This is the time to just roll your sleeves up and try something else. Um, and I think it was, I mean, pretty much from, from that time on, I got serious about setting myself up as a freelancer in the video world. Um, and that's, 
yeah, that's pretty much how I got started. It was about a month after I was back. I sort of begged my dad to lend me some money. <laughs> I bought my first camera maybe six weeks after that. Um, and uh, yeah, that was I guess that was the start of it. Two quick ones. What was the camera? And then number two, slightly bigger one. Like, what was it at that moment in your life that really you felt like, okay, now I'm actually going to just go for it? Was it kind of just that clean blank slate that you felt like you were given? Yeah, in a sense it was, like the the clean blank slate. Um, I think just to come back to the camera question, if there's camera nerds out there, then they'll love it. Sorry, apologies if <laughs> if you're not into cameras. I bought, um, I bought a 5D Mark II. This is a Ooh. Canon 5D Mark II. They you went for it? Yeah, Canon had just unlocked uh, the feature within the 5D Mark II. It was a firmware update, and it had just unlocked the ability to record video. It was the it was about it was pretty much exactly that time that I got home that they announced that the 5D Mark II could do video, and I went crazy because it was like it was it was the start of a whole new era with video. It meant that no longer you film with a, a camcorder style, but you've actually got a camera that has a large sensor and you can put amazing lenses, interchangeable lenses and get shallow depth of field. So it was just like, it was the most exciting thing ever. I would shoot video of anything and everything and think it just looked like, oh my goodness, it looks like Steven Spielberg. <laughs> like I would probably cringe if I look back on the content Today it probably looked dreadful and a lot of focus, but at the time, I mean, it was a real, it was, it was a real shift. It's kind of like when, you know, when we went from uh, newspapers to radio and radio to TV. It was that. It, I mean, it was that much of a shift within like what was possible uh, it, in the video world, and and, and kind of what's come from there is, is crazy. Um, and then just the yeah, there's the the other part of that question. It it very much was. This is, you know, that that was the culmination of four years at Stranmillis doing a degree that I didn't want to do. Six months pretty much after university trying to figure out what I was doing and subbing and not really enjoying it. Then three and a bit months in Japan. I guess like having having a good experience, doing a bit of travel, seeing a new culture, um, you know, it was really good and I, I don't regret it in that sense. But that was very much a hard stop moment. I came back to Belfast and just thought, well, yeah, I mean, teaching, it's just not for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really liked what you said. You know, you said you're in first semester of Stan Millis. You realize this isn't what you wanted to do. You had that kind of creative pool, but you felt like there was no creative career path in front of you. So oh, yeah, that's definitely. something I'm, I'm really, really passionate about, like being a creative, having my own business or being a freelancer or whatever you kind of want to say. Like I see so many people in school at the minute and I see myself in school when I was like 16 of just having like all these ideas, all these things, but having no real tried and tested road that I felt like I could follow. So in those early days, you're back from Japan, you've just set up your own production company like, how did you kind of forge your own creative career path in those early days? Because, dude, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny <laughs> because I would love to say, like, oh, well, you know, I went straight onto um, my computer and typed out this, like, 10-part roadmap and strategy on how I was going to do it. All of the blockers and obstacles and put out, like, a really coherent plan. But uh, honestly, I didn't know what I was doing. I honestly had no notion. 
And I had no experience in business. I didn't do business mm. studies at school. If that's even a thing in 2020, I don't know what they do in school <laughs> these days, whatever the equivalent is. I hadn't done business studies. Um, really, I was always pushing myself towards like the arts. So I was involved in a lot of music. I was involved in a lot of art. Um, I loved photography and I was interested in sports. And um, I, I guess like when it came to that, I'm going to set up a business thing. It was probably both my success and ultimately like my biggest, like it was my kind of my Achilles heel. I just, I only had creativity to like hang my hat on. And I, I kind of knew that. And I just went for the, if I can be really creative right now and do something in this space that nobody else is doing, then it, I'll, that will be my way to get started. And I wish I wish I had had more maturity to realize that you you also need to understand how to run a business to run a business. <laughs> you, it's like it's like you've invented this great product and you know it's going to sell and you just kind of like start you, it'll only last for so long because, you know, eventually your business will just collapse because you, you know you're not running it properly. And I think for me <laughs> it was it was an interesting one. I just leaned into creativity and I poured I just poured everything that I had into making better content and trying to spot places within the market that, you know, other video people were like not quite there yet or, you know, just spotting gaps and going for it. I think I just didn't really lean into the, you know, this, the other side of it. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess the, the, the technology was new and exciting and a lot of people just dismissed it. And a lot of people didn't even, know it was a feature within you know that particular camera um and i guess then i just looked for those small but significant uh, opportunities and, and and really just leaned into that as hard as i could so practically speaking like i assume you started off probably like asking friends to do weddings and using your kind of social like circles was that true or am i just talking out of my no that's 100 <laughs> yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah. okay so I, I i get the wedding thing okay like it, it's a great place to start it makes sense it's that transition from doing the wedding stuff doing the church stuff doing the community stuff or whatever it is you were doing to then going and working for like a company do you know what i mean yeah 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 i um i think my first wedding was actually estelle we just we'd be going out for whatever amount of time um and uh yeah she was like oh a friend of mine um you know whatever just get married uh I i'll pay you to like shoot his wedding as my wedding gift kind of thing and i was like Aww. oh yeah cool how good is that <laughs> legendary I mean, yeah it was like it was just the perfect opportunity i would have done it for free um but uh yeah anyway <laughs> <laughs> I probably, should, I probably I mean, should have done if, it for free. If Estelle's <laughs> going to give me money, I'm going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and I guess it started from there. I think the one thing that I would say was, though, I I didn't have my eyes, like, uh, you know, a week ahead of myself. I definitely had my eyes at least five years ahead of myself. And that was that was probably one really important thing that I continued to do. Um. I didn't really like I whether I intentionally did it or not, I'm not sure. Maybe it was just like drive and ambition, or maybe part of it was like being strategic and methodical. I'm not hundred percent sure, but 
I always said from the very, very start, like right from the very first wedding, this is uh, the first step on the ladder. This is a means to an end. You know, this will get me to there, you know, in the future. Um, and I, I, I put that attitude like front and center from the start. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess I just kind of worked those circles. Um, and really, like, luckily it took off for me pretty quick. By 2012, I was like fully booked for the year of weddings. Um, and it was massive. And that's kind of where I realized like, whoa, this is like, this is insane. I was traveling around the world doing weddings in like various different countries around Europe and even ended up doing a wedding in India and all various different places. It was awesome. But, um, not that there's anything wrong with weddings. It just wasn't for me. I, I know people who have made amazing successful businesses within the wedding industry. Um, but for me, it was always a, this will get me number one experience. Um, I learn my craft really, really quickly. Um, and get confident because weddings are stressy and you need to know where oh, you're at. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, number it's probably two. good, good, like pressure training as well, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Number two, it'll get me finances. You know, it'll get me a bit of money to get my life in order and to start investing back into you know the, the growth of of you know of that business um i guess the transition came 2013 uh <laughs> this guy contacted me and said hey i've seen your your wedding videos and i really love them like they're really beautiful and all that kind of stuff and he was um he was to do a bit of a brand piece for a jewelry company in belfast called fred j malcolm um, and at the time he was kind of, uh, he had had a, like quite a lot of experience in, like in, in media and whatnot, but it wasn't really the guy to shoot the video and edit the video. So he kind of thought, I'll give you some money and you can sell me your wedding footage of like couples, you know, being all romantic and loved up. We'll shoot a couple of shots together of diamonds, um, and just kind of crossfade them together and then put a lo- logo in. And, you know, I guess there's nothing wrong with that. It would have been grand, but I had much, much loftier ideas. <laughs> so I, I phoned him, I phoned him up and was like, look, all right, let's just keep the money thing as it is. It wasn't very much money. It actually, it was peanuts, to be honest. Um, I could have just taken the check, given my footage, done half a day's work filming diamonds and, you know, laughed on the, you know, all the way to the bank. <laughs> but instead I had this, I had this idea. I phoned him up and said, look, why don't I get back to you in say, you know, three or four days time and I'll write a script. And if you like it, we'll shoot the video and we'll use the money that you were going to give me for that, for the first idea. We'll just use that as the budget. And, you know, it's my opportunity to make something good. Um, so I, uh, he said, that's great. Uh, I phoned up a friend, uh, and colleague Craig Skeen, um, and said, look, Craig, uh, would you like to co-write and kind of work on this video with me? And I just kind of gave him the scoop and he was like, yes, mate, sounds amazing. Would love to. This is like, this is a autumn 2013. Um, Craig, Craig and I, we wrote this script and sent it back and they gave it the green light. Um, and they loved it. Um, also I think they loved it us two agents were <laughs> willing to do all of that work for like so little and they were going to get you know a potentially great video out of it anyway we we just craig and i we poured our like we poured every spare minute we had into that video for a couple of months 
And once it was shot, then I like meticulously edited it, did as much creativity and whatever. And at the end, we played this video back to the guys and they loved it. Um, and it, it was just this like def- career defining moment for like, I think at the time Facebook, I'd have to fact check it, fact check it, but Facebook had maybe only just put boosted posts into, into their uh, platform. And I'm pretty sure we didn't even boost the post. It was from memory. It was like 100% organic. We got like 30,000 plays in this video in, in like, I don't know, in a couple of days. And for, for 2013, like this is late 2013 for a couple of ages, um, with no real money behind us, just yeah, I'm particularly f- in a in a Northern Irish context too. Do you yeah, know what I mean? exactly. Like, just you know, you know like thirty thousand people, like that's that's pretty massive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, I think that was kind of like this career defining moment f- for for me. Um, I was getting people contact me and saying, "Oh, you're the guy who did that jewelry ad." Um, I, I was also I was also getting uh, guys, um, give me grief about being super romantic and like it was like oh my partner's raging at me because my proposal was crap compared to that one that you made in the ad <laughs> um uh, i think craig got similar comments um but uh yeah i think from there that was it was just a complete like i, I guess part of it was luck like it was a lucky break but it was trying to uh find the right opportunity there would have been other opportunities prior to that but you kind of sometimes you've got to leave things running a little bit longer. Be patient and like kind of ride out, uh, even if it's you're in a time where you're like really desperate to get something going. Sometimes you just have these like eureka moments. You get the perfect opportunity. It's right time, right place, and it's almost worth just waiting until you've got like two aces instead of like you know a two 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 jacks. Um, and I think Craig and I both knew that it was a great opportunity. Um, and the guys in, in Fred J. Malcolm, I believe, I can't remember the last time they used it, but they, they ran it on TV not that long ago and they used it in the cinema as well, a couple of years back. So even like, even like five years later, they were still like milking it for all it was worth. <laughs> I mean, that's the best creative they've ever spent money on. <laughs> I know they barely even had to spend money. It was great, but it was a win-win. And like, we both knew that, like, you don't really get opportunities very often to work with a brand whenever you're just kind of, you know, making wedding videos at the time. So yeah, it was, it was, it was a really exciting project. It's awesome. So you've had this career finding moment, the tables have turned, uh, you know, there's all these opportunities now, I assume to work with uh, brands, you almost have a different problem then of either you get too busy and you burn out, or you have to become really, really selective about who you start to work with. What was your experience kind of navigating that? Yeah, burnout, that that is such a such a good point. I think I was already starting to experience that through the weddings because you kind of like I think part of the problem with the weddings was that they were they were so repetitive and with my um with my personality type, I needed like I absolutely craved change. I just couldn't do the same thing all of the time. It kind of broke my brain. <laughs> um uh so yeah, like jumping into jumping out of that into commercial wasn't even it wasn't even just like a a clean jump because i had already taken bookings for like you know a year 18 months in advance so i had this like i had this like painful transition period where i was like cool right i'm getting loads of work offers 
uh, for commercial stuff, but I'm actually also full time in weddings <laughs> until, you know, like 18 months at least. It wasn't until 2015 that I pretty much got like weddings under control and like caught up and, and, and kind of handed over, I guess. Um, but yeah, definitely from, from, from that video when I started to, I started to really like jump into the commercial scene. And at, at the time I actually just said yes to everything pretty much because it was kind of like that first stage in weddings. When you get a, an inquiry, you're like, Oh, book, 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 book. Um, because it was so can you do this wedding for 50 percent off yes mate no worries at all as long as it's in the diary i'm willing to do it 50 <laughs> exactly, percent like yeah they offer me 50 percent i'm like i'll actually give you 75 percent you know <laughs> sure well we're at it we'll do it for nothing um, <laughs> yeah uh, well the commercial thing was an interesting one just getting going i guess i just i did just jump into most projects that were coming my way and and kind of eventually learned that being more selective uh, was going to be the way that I continue to get success within that. Um, it was interesting though, because I think the perception from maybe my website, my showreel at the time was I was only working on cool shoots with like, I don't know, I went to Iceland with, with, uh, Callum Stewart, who's now like absolutely smashing it. He's doing so well. And, um, I still maintain that it's, it's all down to the music video that I shot for oh, him because you know pretty much <laughs> from the, from like the day we launched that, you know, we got signed and he's it on propelled, video. propelled, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's sarcasm, by the way. But yeah, <laughs> I think the perception was that I was, you know, working in like cool videos like that, going to Iceland with Callum Stewart and shooting music videos. The reality was actually, um, I was doing probably, I think 80-20 is I've heard that kind of saying, you know, 80, 20, you know, 80% work that will pay the bills um, and 20% that will like kind of stimulate you creatively. And I think that's probably what, that's probably what the ratio would have worked out at the percentage. Um, and I think for me, like as long as I could find that 20% outlet, I was happy. Um, and I was lucky because the 20% would get me the 80% work even though it wasn't representative of that style and like I mean, that is so, you know, so good. Yeah. So what I would try and do is create the space, actively look for it and also came with time, but eventually I would get to the point where I could say, yeah, that's a, that's a project that will get me loads of other craft jobs. <laughs> but it was just like having them, having the, you know, just having that insight that you know where, you'll be able to pour lots of time over and above actually probably make a loss on the video. If you balance up your time and the effort and just all of the stuff that goes into it, but you know, you'll get the reward in um, more people sniffing around your website, asking you to jump on board and do videos. And I think the more, the more I kind of adopted that approach um, the better the 80% stuff started to get. Um, for example, uh, I went from doing like very sort of bland, Monday and just event things, you know, to the likes of uh, Ryan Crown, who was on uh, the podcast with you in New York. I remember getting that email from him saying, hey, mate, we'd love to kind of work with you and shoot some videos out in New York. And that became just more of the normal kind of thing um, where I was doing like more interesting, more creatively stimulating. Um, I'm working with like great, people like Ryan. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really fun time. Took years though. It definitely took years to get that like 
down to almost like a fine art. Um, I guess it was part of that strategy that ended up getting me, you know, transitioning from freelance into working with Canva. Crazy. I don't know if I lost you there or I was just, was that just a long pause? <laughs> <laughs> I think that was just a long pause. And then I was like, Hmm. I was, just, I, I, I was just absolutely <laughs> shell shocked from the fact that you said Canva. I just couldn't believe it. I know it's so hectic. <laughs> my accent, it's, it's really bad. My accent has changed so much since I got here. My, my office is like, I don't know. I think maybe it's a, there's a lot of Aussies, but there's also, there's tons of people from like all across Asia. Um, there's Americans, there's like, you name it. We've got everyone, um, like loads of French people, loads of German people as well, actually. Um, so for a wee lad from Belfast to, to dander in, to dander into a meeting and just say, right, mate, what's the crack? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really work. I remember talking, uh, we, we do this thing every other Wednesday, uh, with my team. It's, it's called the, yo, it's cringy. It's so cringy. It's called the power hour. <laughs> Oh yeah. You yeah. mean the par R? Yeah, it's exactly what I said. So it was, it was put into the calendars and everyone was like, yeah, so today is the first power hour. And I was like, oh, you mean par R? <laughs> yeah, I remember when I was in the States, there was a, a, someone was reading a book and it was like the power of half an hour. And I was just like, mate, that is such a funny <laughs> book title. If you're from Belfast, it's just like, it sounds so deadly. I think the power of half an hour. <laughs> I know people love it. Honestly, I always, I always thought that the Northern Irish accent was just like the most cringy thing in the world until I left Northern Ireland and people are like, oh, say this. That's so good. I love your accent. It's amazing. Your accent's so cool. And it's like, is it? It sounds really like weird. That's so amazing. <laughs> uh, so on the note of Canva, talk mm. to me, man. Because that was a serious, serious opportunity. Like, you need to fact check me on this. But if I, I think, you know, over 500 people applied for the job, I think I've heard it was a crazy application process. You had to make a video. Like, there's so much in that. Um, first of all, what is a unicorn? Because, you know, mm. if you if you work, if you're self-employed, particularly if you're from Northern Ireland, people are like, what the heck is this guy doing? This doesn't make sense. Then if you're like our creative person is self-employed, like your friends and family and your dad and your granny are like, wait, I don't even understand what you do. What is it you do? And then all of a sudden you're going, you're working for a unicorn. Son, have you lost your mind? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I know. You can imagine. Yeah. Telling like um, my wife's, uh, my wife's granny is um, in her seventies. It's like, Unreal. yeah, we're going, we're going out to Australia. Ruben's got a job with a unicorn. She's like, what? A unicorn? <laughs> yeah. He's going to work with a mythical uh, horse. <laughs> they're real. Uh, I know they're real. We're actually, uh, what do we know? I hope I can say this. I'm sure I can. I'm pretty sure it's in the, the public domain. Um, I think we're 3.5 unicorns these days. Cheaperzo. <laughs> 3.5 yeah. billion. So just to put that into, yeah, if, if, if you're unaware of what a unicorn is in tech, it's a company that is valued at $1 billion. Um, and the, the reason why they call them unicorns is because obviously it's quite rare to get a valuation of a billion. Um, and that happened in March two years ago. Uh, yeah, it, was, it wasn't long before I started. So it was that 2018, March 2018. I started in June 2018. Uh, yeah, and we hit the 1 billion mark, which is absolutely crazy. And since then, yeah, since then, Canvas has just been on this like 
roller coaster of uh you know growth and success it's just it's such a very inspirational company to come in and work with every day um yeah just to track back to like how that all came about if we go right back to the the dawn of estelle and my relationship we pretty much like agreed from day one it's like cool yeah i would love to go and live somewhere else and like kind of add a whole layer to life that we wouldn't otherwise get here in belfast and she was like that was like she was all about that Um, and she'd done a lot of traveling and i thought that was like so inspirational and amazing she'd been to hong kong and lived for like i think she was in hong kong for maybe six or seven months she traveled all around australia years ago and um i kind of just really craved that because i'd really i hadn't traveled a heap to be honest it wasn't i thought i'd traveled but i really hadn't um and i think for me i always had this like dream that i had never been to new york and i always had this dream i wasn't going to go to new york until i was going there to do work <laughs> so so yep. bizarre yeah american and, dream baby let's do it <laughs> yeah exactly it's like if i'm going to new york i'm going there to work <laughs> <laughs> and then one day this lovely legend of a fella from limavati was like here ruben do you want to come over to new york and do some work with us <laughs> <laughs> all right mate i'm from the same place you are i have a sweet company <laughs> exactly. do you want to come help me <laughs> i know uh it was it was yeah it was an awesome opportunity but yeah yeah so um just with the the moving abroad thing, it was it was a seed that was planted with with both of us from the early days, and we kind of tested the water with Japan, and it backfired pretty oh, hard. Boy. Yeah, yeah, what a what an unfortunate <laughs> guinea pig. <laughs> I, know. I know, yeah. So it it kind of took a few years to get the confidence to even like suggest it and consider it again. But when we got when we got back into that like headspace of yeah, cool, let's do it, let's let's move across the world and like try something different you know all that kind of stuff we we had uh kids at that stage um so it just seemed a little bit less realistic and a little bit more sort of hectic to do that um but we were we were both kind of committed to their early dream and we both kind of thought yeah let's go for it um but from that point to actually landing in australia and getting her passport stamped oh you know that was years and it took a lot of uh, it took a lot of work to get to that stage. And I think for me to wrap up a, you know, pretty decent, successful freelance operation um, in Belfast, that was a that was a pretty big thing to do, um, you know, to, to kind of take that, what I'd built and just kind of say, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll just leave that all behind and move on with my life. And, and I have to say, like, just, just quickly, like, just to interject for one second, like, I don't, like, we don't really know each other. I remember, mm. like, hearing that you were going to Australia to work for Canva and actually being sad that Northern Ireland was going to lose you because I was like, no, he's such a good videographer. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, I think, it, it, yeah, there were, there's so many guys in Belfast, like there's and all across Northern Ireland and even the Republic, there's so many very talented people. I think particularly in Northern Ireland, it always blew me away. The talent pool that we had, particularly within the arts. That's amazing. I, I saw it in other places when I, you know, went and traveled and worked, but not like I saw it in Belfast. It was kind of crazy. People were like freakishly creative and talented. Um yeah, I guess uh it kind of comes back to what I was chatting about earlier from when we decided to move until we actually did move. It was a series of decisions and, you know, actions that we had to do to make it 
viable. I think for me, uh, from a work point of view, I had to start getting really methodical about what content I was going to push for international appeal. So like I had to, I had to make myself so much bigger than I actually was. I was just one little lad, you know, working as I was <laughs> working out of a, uh, a church uh, office with Craig, <laughs> with Craig and Emma Kenny. If you know Emma Kenny, the designer, we rented yes. this like we rented this beautiful little room at the back of a, a really amazing old church building with like awesome parquet floor, and the three of us would just come in and do impressions and like have the crack all day. <laughs> but I, I knew what I knew what it was like in the inside, and I needed to make sure that if I was to get a job in a big company doing like you know awesome work somewhere around the world i needed to come across as this like total gun like genius loads of experience like super confident all this kind of stuff and i knew yeah, I wasn't. Sl- slick creative genius from brooklyn only he's living in belfast <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly um uh, so i i just had to kind of have a good think about okay what would that kind of like it dream up this character who's on you know on the hunt for like a a creative video person like what kind of thing are they looking for what's the standout what's the like point of difference um like what's the value proposition that i need to put forward uh and how do i like extract that from projects around belfast and northern ireland and beyond um and i i guess uh craig sorry to keep referencing craig um he he (laughs) had this little expression uh, oh, Skinner never took his eye off the showreel. Um, <laughs> I, I always thought it was hilarious. But actually, like, I guess that was part of my strategy. Uh, like, the showreel was everything to me because it was it was everyone else's perception of my talent, my work, my ability. Like, you know, you could even see what I wasn't yet doing in a, in a sense, like, because there was potential there, whatever. And I, I guess I just thought, cool right how do i make this show real so unbelievable it'll just get me like all these awesome jobs that i'm really actually not like pretend like you know maybe massively qualified to do um and uh yeah i, I just started editing this show reel. it was um i think it was july 2017 on the 11th of july i remember it because it was bonfire day um and i started i just started putting a, a cv together as well um, and that was like, from then we got really serious about moving abroad. I think the problem was, though, I had this killer showreel. I put a CV together. It was all like, yeah, cool. I, some, somebody might employ me. But I started looking at jobs in video production around the world and quickly realized there there are none. <laughs> this, is tw- this is 2017. It was a freelancer's game. Like, I mean, and to a certain extent, it still is. But I mean, the jobs were few and far between. I remember seeing a job at Apple and I was like, oh, this is it. I'm made. I'm going to be working where Steve Jobs used to work. Like, done, done deal. This is a dream. Like, it's just, you know, it's just, it's happening. And I, I put I put my application in and sent this job out to Apple and was, didn't even hear back. Oh my <laughs> days. Like, like, you're like, your life show really just like flicked. You're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was i mean i was so underqualified for the role it was ridiculous um but the the spirit was there and the belief was there and i didn't kind of let it knock me i thought you know what screw apple you know they're uh, <laughs> i'm too good for them anyway i'm not Obviously. buying a macbook ever again <laughs> <laughs> I know. 
I know my house is full of Apple products, um, <laughs> but it was good. It was a, it was a good learning opportunity. Um, I applied for maybe two other jobs. Um, one of them was with a music streaming company and uh, it didn't pan out, which was totally fine because I think they went bust not long after that. So that worked out. Um, and then eventually after maybe, I think it was November, uh, I saw this job ad for Canva and I just like, I just knew, you know, like people say they feel it in their waters. I don't know. Is that a, is it women say that maybe? <laughs> It was just a weird experience. I was like, this is it. Like the Apple thing was just like me being a dreamer, but there was something that resonated about this Canva position. Um, and I remember sitting in my little car, uh, uh, I was parked with the ignition off. I was just, you know, wasn't driving. Um, and I read this job application and I, I just instantly phoned Estelle, my wife and said, this is it. It's in Sydney. I love Canva. I'd actually been using the app, um, for some social media work that it was doing. And I, you know, it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, it was fairly limited at the time, but I could tell that they were like doing some great things. And, um, I just came back over my resume and I'm back over my showreel and, and, and submitted it. And I was probably about two weeks later, I got an email back from uh, a guy within Canva called Zach. And he was like, Hey mate, uh, we loved your application. Your, your, your showreel was great. We'd love for you to kind of formally join the, the, the recruitment process. Um, and he sent me, he sent me this little deck over with, with what it looked like. And oh my goodness, getting a job in Canva is like, it's like a whole job in itself. <laughs> um, and yeah, this was December by this stage. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, just put the work in and, and luckily enough, I think it, you know, if I'm being completely honest, they had had, I was told nearly 500 applicants for the role. Um, and Zach just, he just had someone in mind that he needed. Um, and for Zach, it was story focused. And I think one thing my weddings gave me was a, a, like an eye for a story, uh, you know, cutting through the visual stuff and boiling down to like, what's that? Like, what's that thread that runs through that's actually going to get people to like think and feel and react. Um, and I think it was that that translated through my work that Zach saw and thought, yeah, this guy seems like he could fit. And it just happened to be like the right time, the right place, the right person. And it just kind of worked out. Um, so Zach ended up being that creative character you imagined many years before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just, like, had thought about this like this person and it's like, how could I get this person to give me a job? Yeah. Um, and yeah, Zach sits, he sits just like two desks over from me uh, a year and a half into the job and we still work quite closely. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's been quite the adventure. Wow. That's amazing. Um, I want to kind of talk, move, shift gears slightly and talk a bit about the practicalities of, of moving your family. But just to kind of like land the plane here on this chat about creativity and about the the process and the work, um, something you said is really important, I think. And it's, you said you wanted to make creative work that moves the needle. And I mm. think that is so, so key. And I think it's what a lot of creatives miss. And it's something that I am always trying to figure out, well, how can I use my creativity to actually make an impact, whether that is an impact in a company's bottom line or whether it's like a social impact of, you know, uh, a culture I'm trying to change or whatever it is. So 
unpack that for us a wee bit, moving the needle with creative work and how do you go about doing that? Right. Okay. It's a massive question and it's something that I guess me, my team and lots of other teams all around the world are still like working on. And I'm not sure there's like a one fit cookie cutter, like do this and you'll be creative and move the needle. I think it's weird that you, for me, I've always felt that you need to create a space where creativity and strategy like fit together. You know, like when you cut an avocado in half, you've got like one side with the little, uh, <laughs> <laughs> one side with the pit like sticking out and the other side just kind of like fits around it perfectly. If you think about one side is the creative side and one side's the strategic side. Uh, for me, those two halves make a whole. Um, ah. So I see people from time to time. That is one super niche hipster metaphor. <laughs> I'm loving it. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I, live, I live in Australia. It's, all, all we eat is avocados. Um, Amazing. <laughs> uh, but I think, yeah, trying to find that uh, in your work, for me, it's always translated to a, a degree of success. Sometimes you can have a shot in the dark and just go absolutely next level creative and win. But I think that is quite rare. It's also quite special when it happens. There's been times that I've seen work online and it's just, it's all creative and it's just so good and it's groundbreaking and people just lose their mind over it. Um, and it's awesome. But I feel like that kind of thing just inspires the creative side. And what we tend to do is lean into our craft and neglect our like strategic side. Um, I actually think that as creatives, we need to create that space to like learn about um, like the processes that will facilitate your success. Um, keep working on your craft. Obviously, never like never stop that. Do that until you like retire and be the best crafts person you can potentially be. But also um, learn what it is to. Um, like run an incredible business or to like understand like um, how to create like a, a roadmap for, you know, a product launch or whatever it is, all of these like big heavy duty, like strategic um, thinking styles. If you can learn that and harness your creativity with insight and um, you know, that kind of practical knowledge, I think you're going to give yourself the best shot of, of uh, doing well. I think just, to like boil down into like the specifics with video, particularly with video. Um, I've always found that like having like a clear value proposition, you know, that's kind of like silly terminology, but like setting your focus and making it really clear, like set out your stall. This is what I do. And like, these are the people that I'm trying to reach and just setting up really, really clear from the start. Um, goals and targets and structures around like what what it is that you're trying to achieve that doesn't always have to be to do with like business and and like sales and money and success in that sense it could just be maybe you've just got like a side hustle which is just for fun um you know maybe it's just like a like just a like uh, a little project you're doing or maybe it's like a charitable thing but trying to like trying to think about those two sides uh, is great really really powerful for me it's helped me kind of get through particularly with my current job my current role within canva is working on ad content so we have a very small internal 
team in Canva who look after the ads. Um, and I guess like my role is to create ads that actually work. They like, they actually get people to sign up to the product. And that is so hard. It's like when you see, you know, when you see the, like the Facebook um, ad manager, the insights, you know, that little graph you get that shows you like how long people have watched the video for. And it starts at second zero, you know, up to like, say 30 second video. And it, it starts at a hundred percent. And within like one second, like everyone's gone. <laughs> You're like, dang it. Yeah. And I think for us, like to use that as, as an example, to see success w- with with advertising like that you can't just like you can't just sort of make a video because you think it's cool and you know it might be on trend or whatever and it just like looks and sounds cool like it actually has to have had a purpose set out from the start that is tried and tested and you'll know that that will resonate with the audience and then you then that's when you come in with all the creativity okay cool we've got this clear vision we're pretty sure it'll work um and how do we then, how do we harness that, like, and make, pad it out with all of the cool eye-catching bells and whistles to make people, like, kind of stick with it? Um, so, yeah, for me, it's definitely that, like, two-sided approach. That's awesome. Man, so, so good. One of my big heroes is a guy called Seth Godin. I'm sure the listeners are sick and tired of me talking <laughs> about him. Uh, yeah. But I'm looking at his book here. It's, like, right in front of me. And what he says is, like, Whenever you're making something creative, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a video, whether it's a book, whatever it is, whether it's an ad, the two questions you need to ask is who's it for and what's it for? Because so often we just get so lost and we get, yeah, you know, like exactly. you said, so caught up in the creativity. If you have those like two foundational building blocks, like yeah, as yeah. long as you know that you're pretty much set. And I'm like, it's changed the way I do a lot of a lot of yeah. my own business and you know the the art in a very broad quotation yeah. mark that I make as well. Awesome. Yeah, um, I talk total, to me totally a agree. Wee, oh, talk to me a wee bit about it. <laughs> uh, I know it's so funny. It's like, oh, no, you go. No, you go. No, you go. No, you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, talk to me a wee bit about relocating. How was mm. it? Do you recommend it? Is it as difficult as maybe we would build it up to be in our heads? All that sort of stuff. Yes, yes, and yes, pretty much, yeah. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, 100% recommend it for anyone. Like, yes, it's so, so worth it, even if it's a total disaster. Like, I guess, I don't know, maybe my wife and I have different opinions on ultimately Japan. Uh, for me, it was a really core, like, key part of our um you know, of our relationship and our like growing up in that. Um, and it, it ultimately like contributed to the story of like who we are today. Um, and so even if it doesn't pan out, even if it's really hard, I still reckon it's worth it. And that's coming from like being through a natural disaster. Uh, there's, there's a kind of a mentality though, that's bolted on to moving abroad, which is like, uh, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. Um, I kind of feel like that's the wrong attitude to take to moving abroad. I did a, I did a live chat with Dylan Osborne a while ago. And I remember saying in that, uh, maybe I've just coined this phrase or maybe I've ripped it off from someone else, but like, don't, don't think of it as the grass is greener. You know, if I go to Australia, you know, the grass will be greener because essentially that's just a better version of what you've currently got. For me, it's like, the grass isn't greener when you go abroad. It's just not grass anymore. It's something different. It's something you haven't yet <laughs> experienced. And I think that's the point of moving away. It's not to get a better like version of the same thing. You know, it's to get like a whole different uh, 
experience altogether. And that's definitely what we went, that's what we had, you know, set our sights on to give our kids like a really different um, experience and upbringing. Um, we're not sure we can stay here forever. We don't have permanent residency at the minute. Um, so we don't really know. So we're kind of like swinging in this like balance of, uh, well, I don't know how long we're going to be here for. We've got four years guaranteed, but after that, like, who knows, we might have to come back home. Um, but ultimately it was super challenging to relocate, to wrap up a business, to leave family behind, um, to, take the kids like Dora was just finished nursery school and she was just about to start P1 uh, to pull her out of that scenario. And then because the school years are out of whack here, she had to wait uh, like seven or eight months before she started kindergarten here. Um, And that was really tough for her. She'd made friends and was really well established. Um, And we just like pulled her right out of that. And, And then all of a sudden she's like stuck at home for eight months waiting for school to start again. Um, it was really tough. Like it was, it was really, really hard just settling into a country that like you get, we got off the plane and we're like, uh, cool. So we know approximately zero people here. <laughs> um, Zeke, Zeke was three months old when we arrived. Oh my it goodness. Was just so mental. Um, it was quite funny. He was born in St. Patrick's day. And it was the day the immigration lawyers lodged our application for the visa. And ah. they, emailed back, they emailed back and they were like, oh, this is funny because today is the last day of like applications for your particular visa. So it's like super, super backlogged. So it's going to take ages. Um, and we had already agreed like uh, a date to move out of our house and let people rent it from us. So we had this hard stop date of 15th of May. It was like once the 15th of May comes around, if we haven't got our visas, like we're homeless <laughs> indefinitely. <laughs> and that's what happened. Like we had to just move out on the 15th of May. Um, oh, and snap. We, yeah, it was mental. We moved in with Estelle's grandparents. Uh, we were there for like a week. Then um, a very, very, very generous and kind person, uh, Judy, offered up her family um, holiday home up in the North Coast. And we stayed there for, for two weeks. And that honestly, like literally <laughs> saved our lives. Then Ryan offered us uh, a week's work in New York. He was like, here, mate, sure you're not doing anything else? Come on over to New York for a week. So the five of us just flew over. Zeke was like two months old or whatever. And we went to New York for a week. Landed back, three kids, New York, jet lag, got back into (laughs) Northern Ireland. Checked my emails and was like, oh, the visa just came through. So (laughs) we booked our flights and flew out the following week. So it was just so so like i can't even describe how mental it was and like dear love my wife and kudos to her because she like she put up with so much like uh it was just it was just, our, our life was just like in limbo all of the time and she made it work for she made it work for the family and uh, it was quite like i look back on it and think wow <laughs> that was pretty impressive um uh, we we lived in this tiny little two bedroom house when we first moved to Sydney. Um, all five of us crammed into this like house that was the size of a generously proportioned static caravan, <laughs> <laughs> and the rent was could only be described as eye wateringly expensive. Um, 
Yeah, I've heard so, like rumors and whispers of like, and it's probably become like urban legend at this point. It's like, yeah, did you know that like a six inch <laughs> subway in Australia costs like $425? And you're like, oh, <laughs> it's, it's not far off. Yeah, like it, it, it's it's kind of wild. We we were there for nine months in that house and then we moved down south coast. So we're five minutes from the beach out of the city. It's a 45 minute train ride, but it's like honestly it's so good the trains are great here the public transport is, is pretty awesome um it's only five dollars on the train as well which is about is about 270 for a 45 minute train ride that's total bargain central yeah um, that's deadly come yeah, on translink <laughs> so five five minutes from the beach and i think after a year and a half it's like we're at the stage where you know we just have like so much hectic mayhem in life it's still crazy and it's still an ongoing challenge like bringing up kids completely on your own but we we love life here and like we've we've got like a sense of joy and contentment that we didn't have before we came and i think like ultimately as chaotic as it's been and you know the rent isn't seen so it's hard to like it doesn't even sometimes feel like it's just making ends meet can be challenging with $420 subway sandwiches. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like all of that aside, like, I don't think we would change it. It's just so good. Um, we, we've loved it. Truly have loved it. And I would recommend relocation for anyone. Northern Ireland can, can be quite, um, quite, uh, what's the word? Like there, there's a lot of home birds back home. I, I, I totally get that because do you know what? Northern Ireland's great. It's awesome. Like I think the weather's terrible, but apart from that, like you've, you've got a lot of really, really great things there. Um, and it's very easy to get comfy and kind of just fall into the, you know, you get, you get your job, you get married, you get a house, you know, you get mortgage. Um, you live in the sort of postcode that you wanted to live in and, you know, you, you get the car that you wanted and, you know, you just kind of fall into that sort of thing. And not that that's bad, it's definitely not. But um, I think sometimes people just sort of lose that sense of adventure that they maybe had years ago because Northern Ireland can just present itself as like, yeah, it's great, see if it's happy, it's good, like no no dramas. Um, yeah, so I think like if somebody's considering it, um like definitely go for it explore it lean into it and like i doubt you would regret it i think especially in your guy's case like there's a quote i've been thinking about a lot it's a abraham maslow quote he's like the guy that made the maslow hierarchy of needs and um it just says whatever you can be you must be and i think because you guys had that in you you know what i mean like from very early on in your relationship it sounded like like almost like if you didn't do it, it would almost be detrimental. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting point, yeah. I'm not sure. I think regret's a funny concept. I don't know whether we would have, like, regretted it in years to come, but, yeah, I think there would definitely have been, uh, maybe not felt like we we added the chapters to the story that, that should have been there, you know? Oh, mate, there's that narrative, the eye for <laughs> narrative kicking in. Oh, baby, I like that. <laughs> Um, just land on the plane here a couple of kind of stock questions uh, a couple of wee random ones just um, to kind of wrap up with uh, if we could send you a, a Northern Irish care package with anything from Northern Ireland in it what sort of stuff would you like oh, the things well, from home that you're like oh baby I would love some blah 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 oh well two things come to mind 
um, the bushfire season here has been so, so crazy. I'm sure you guys have seen it on the news, but rain, oh my goodness, rain. It like hasn't rained here in months until just recently. So um, sometimes I miss those like big, thick, gray clouds and all of that lovely rain. Um, when it's been like three months of like serious drought, you're kind of like, oh, maybe Northern Ireland should should be exporting the rain. <laughs> I uh, I got that link you sent to to donate to the yeah, to the, bush the fire rural fire places. service. I'll I'll put that in the show notes for sure. Because yeah, I mean yeah, we, you know, we we see it. It's it's absolutely crazy. From my perspective, it just seems like the whole nation's on fire. Like no other mm. way around it. It looks crazy. And like you were saying, I was even surprised to hear recently someone in normal bass was over in I think Sydney on a business trip, and they were saying, yeah, like there is smoke like on the beach near the city. And I was like, are you serious? Like, I, it, for some reason, that, like, put in perspective, like, this is how yeah. crazy the situation is. Because I just assumed rural, 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 like, way, like, far away from nowhere. From no, yeah. oh, far away from nowhere. <laughs> you know, far <laughs> away from, like, where lots of people are living. And then you're like, oh, my days. No, like, this is, like, this is the real deal. So, yeah. I'm yeah, just really no, glad to hear yeah. you saying that, that, that there's been rain. And, uh, yeah, crazy yeah. that you yeah. experienced even just that chapter of Australia's story, you know. Yeah, it came like at one stage uh, on the on the app that you can download. It's called Fires Near Me. Like, I mean, the oh, app that days. nobody the fact the, that, that even nobody exists wants is to have wild. To download. Yeah, no, it's like you're you're normally like looking like cafes near me. It's like yeah, fires near me. The, it, the whole city, like, uh, it's on the it's on the east coast. So obviously, the east coast is just. Uh, coast <laughs> but like right from the the northeast wrapping around all the way around the city all the way down to the south east was was just fire pretty much um areas that were burning out of control um and it, it just was so mental the smoke it's hard to explain it um it just blanketed the city in a matter of moments just at, at without warning it just i guess it was the wind direction um, you've got these like fires burning over like hundreds of thousands of hectares, maybe, you know, like three hours away from the city max. Like some of them were even that. Is than that is crazy. And the wind changes and all of that smoke just gets dumped on the city. It was crazy. We have these photos. It's like permanent sepia tone. Like it, it's mind boggling. And it would just come in without warning. And it was kind of eerie and really like depressing. There was one day... Uh, I went outside and it, it was raining pieces of ash and there were like black charred leaves just coming down. Uh, so bizarre. Um, but yeah, I think the rain is starting to help um, get the get some of those fires out of control. Get this the sheer scale of it is is like it's hard to comprehend. Um, but yeah, just to come back to that question, the second. Yeah, so just the small task of trying to package up the rain. <laughs> so I'll see what I can do. I can't right, make any promises. <laughs> All right, well, do your best, mate. <laughs> and the other thing was, it's got to be Pinjana tea. Uh, one Ooh. of the things that helped get me really well established in the commercial scene was doing a commercial for Pinjana tea. I believe they they played it on TV recently, um, not long ago. I can't, what was on recently? Like a big event, something... Wasn't it's, something to do with the open, but I think they were doing could well have been ads the open. around that. Actually, could have been the open. I remember someone messaging me saying, "Oh, here, me saw your pajama ad on TV." Unreal. Um, I shot that in twenty fifteen, I think twenty fifteen. I love um, that. 
And the that, evergreen like, content. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, yeah, those those guys were just they were an absolute um bunch of legends to work for. They are so passionate about their tea. They just like they do not cut corners. It's they're just so like stuck to creating good quality content that they're willing to like sacrifice their profit margins for it. Um and I just love that dedication. And I love the tea and I love that it's like a 120 something years in Belfast, four generations. Um, and it's completely independent. I think lots of people think they're like owned by, you know, all these big tea conglomerates, but they're just this wee big tea. Uh, they're just this wee independent company pumping quality product out of Belfast. So I've, I love the product and I love what they're doing. And I think it's a great, like they're great role models for people who want to establish a long lasting Northern Irish business that's brilliant uh, i'll tweak the next question for you just to stay on <laughs> brand and on topic uh, if you could take yeah. anyone from northern ireland out for a cup of punjana tea uh <laughs> <laughs> dead or alive who would you take where would you take them and why oh that's a good one that's a really good one i think uh was c.s lewis from northern ireland or did he just oh, live there for yeah. a period of time east belfast born and bred my man born right there you go born in east belfast well I would. I've heard great things about about this lad. <laughs> <laughs> I heard he wrote a couple of good books. Um, <laughs> I think he would. He would have some serious stories to tell. Oh yeah. He was good friends with um, with Tolkien. Uh, he wrote some incredible books that are still profound. I think he would be an amazing character who is uh, past. I think maybe a modern day person. I really love. Um, Oliver Jeffers, how he went from, you know, uh, I think he grew up in Hollywood. I don't know him. I've never met him, but I just really admire his story and his journey and his work. I think Oliver's one of those guys who has like leaned on the creativity thing and has just always been so good that it's cut through no matter what. Um, I have a lot of respect and a lot of admiration for, for his work. I think he just recently announced that one of his recent books is getting made into uh, like a f- mini feature thing with, I don't know, Apple TV or something like that. It's unreal. Awesome. It's so, so good. That is so awesome. I'd, I'd love to have a wee cup of Panjana with, <laughs> um, with Oliver Jeffers. So good. So good. Um, two more bigger questions. Well, definitely bigger questions. Uh, the first one being one of my, I think this is my favorite question to ask on the podcast and it's, uh, in your own eyes, what was the most successful moment of your life? Hmm. Uh, successfully convincing Estelle to go out with me and then part two of that to marry me. <laughs> Let me ask you this. I'm not asking for the story. I'm asking for like just, just an honest yes, no. Was your proposal better, the same or worse than the fake proposal you wrote for Fred J. Malcolm? <laughs> Oh, significantly worse. It was yeah, no. It was so basic. I know. Yeah, yeah. It was way, That's hilarious. Way, way, way uh, less exciting than that. I know. <laughs> Sorry, Estelle. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's definitely been the my the moment that I am most glad happened. Um, from a work point of view. Um, I don't know. This is a really hard question to answer. I think the Panjana ad, 
was a significant um, milestone for me. Um, I worked on that with a couple of different people at various different stages. Uh, Craig Skeen jumped on uh, from a from a scripting point of view and helped me carve out the narrative after numerous meetings with Ross Thompson from Panjana. Um, and he was pivotal on like landing on what that kind of brand message should be. Uh, I could never have done that on my own. Um, but pretty much from that point, you know, I flew over to Kenya and shot there and I, I had quite a clear vision for the, like the overall story and the treatment. Um, I poured in so much time in the edit. Um, and, uh, Craig then came back towards the end with the soundtrack and we collaborated together and he he wrote the soundtrack for it. And it's it just, amazing. I just poured so much into making that ad. Um and I think then when we finally played it back to the guys and they they loved it and they you know they still use it and it's kind of stood the test of time. Um I think that has probably been the the probably the standout moment apart from making Callum Stewart famous you know JC Stewart <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly um the flip side of that question go with this any direction you you want uh how about the most challenging moment of your life so far and how were you able to overcome that mm. Whew. yeah it's tricky uh yeah I don't want to get too like too personal um but I think like generally speaking uh like becoming a husband and becoming a father has been yeah it's been such a like such a challenge um i think elements of it came naturally to me you know uh but wow like you know going from uh a teenager to a student to like a grown up and getting married and becoming a dad like i i feel like i was like I should have been held back a couple of years, you know, I, maybe I just was like this just quite sort of immature. I think that was such a challenge to like really grow up and learn what it is to be uh, a good husband and a good dad. That was, that, that was probably been the biggest challenge, but I think um, it's been the best challenge. It's been so rewarding and so enjoyable. And I feel like finally I've kind of learned what that, means but i yeah i didn't realize at the time i think i was maybe <laughs> i over, <laughs> overestimated my um, maturity <laughs> in life yeah man yeah thankfully my uh, wife has a lot of patience that's so good you can you can cut this out we can scrap this but just on that like how did you improve your craft of being a dad and being a husband like how did you even go about starting to tackle that if that makes sense mm, yeah i freak it's hard balance with work and life is is this like weird little experiment that is kind of like ongoing. Um, and I think trying to like, trying to get, trying to get that balance more to an even keel was, it just took a long time and, I, and I'm not really sure how I did it. I think probably realizing that I was really selfish and like obsessed with work um, was <laughs> probably the first step was like, oh, wow, I work like I'm too focused on work and not focused enough on, on, you know, my, my wife and my kids. I think that was probably a, a significant thing. And then just like from there, like actually starting to put your wife and kids before yourself that, I mean, like if you're not doing that from the start, it's going to be an issue. And I realized that too late, I guess. Um, but yeah, you've really got to like, you've really got to put yourself lower down the ladder um, and just deal with it you know like if you're going to be late for work or like maybe miss a important 
event that you wanted to go to or whatever, like suck it up because if you've committed to these things, you've got to, <laughs> you've got to really, um, to, uh, stand, stand up to your responsibilities. Um, there was a, there was a thing on Instagram stories, I think ages ago that I saw, and it was a, it was a woman with a big jug of water and she had the different glasses. One was work and one was like family and one was personal life. And she was like, pouring the water into these glasses and trying to get the balance right. But there was never, you know, she just could never get it right. The way she was like pouring them in and there was never enough for one. And then one of them was being like overflowed. And yeah, it was just kind of illustrating that point of, um, you're always kind of like ducking and diving and trying to chop and change. Um, and trying to like find that mysterious work life balance is, is tricky enough, but, um, yeah, still working on it. Dude, I love that. Thank you. That was, that was really great. Um, final question, and then Ooh. you can go. Then you can go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like it's, you're like flip me. This guy's keeping me from my sweet sweet rest. No, it's, it's my fault. <laughs> I just talk and talk and talk and talk. People um, tell me that all the time. Let's say you could uh, jump into a time machine, and you could go back, and you could sit beside yourself on the flight home from Japan. So that was Ooh. 2011. And you could just, I don't know if you would need to disguise yourself so you wouldn't recognize yourself or if like past you would be cool with seeing like you from the future or whatever. All that's Mm -hmm. weird time travel stuff aside. Uh, (laughs) What advice or what kind of words would you say to yourself in that moment if you had just a couple of minutes of of that younger Ruben's time? Whoa. Yeah, even just thinking about that, there's so much stuff that I would be saying, like, sort your fashion out. What are you playing at? (laughs) (laughs) Fedoras aren't cool. I don't know if you wore a fedora. (laughs) I'm pretty sure uh, I had this this, um, Czech shirt that I actually think might have been a girl's shirt um, because I used to love it and wear it all the time. And then I saw a girl wearing it and yeah, it, it's a great illustration of just how, how bad my Bummer, fashion dude. sense was. <laughs> so apart from the fashion stuff, which actually is ironic because all I wear here in Australia is just shorts and t-shirts pretty much. Um, I think I think like one of the things that I've learned through the hard, hard experiences of life has been that you are not as important as the important people in your life. Um, and it kind of comes back to just what I was talking about, like put yourself, um, don't put yourself in front of other people that you've made commitments to and, and kind of, um, if you, if you're going out with someone or if you're getting engaged or you're married, you know, that person has to come first. And that's not to say that I am currently succeeding in that, <laughs> but I think I just, like, I just got so like bogged into like work and like trying to make a success of myself and way too often I just kind of neglected the other big things in my life and actually it wasn't until I made that switch that those things were actually of far greater importance in my life in the long run and started to invest more into that that like things actually started to fall into place and things would get better and healthier and happier and all that kind of stuff um, and that just took me so long to learn <laughs> it's just a, it's frustrating how long that took um, but I think ultimately those lessons were really important and I think I'm in a better place for having gone through difficult times like that. But um, yeah, also um, I maybe would have said, uh, hear me, in 2017, 
Bitcoin is going to be <laughs> 15 grand, <laughs> go ahead and get a couple whenever, uh, whenever they're worth a couple of dollars. Oh. <laughs> so, so good, man. Awesome. Sweet. Room, mate, thank you very, very much for giving up your, your precious just before bed time <laughs> just to come and speak to us. I really enjoyed that. I've been making notes the whole time. Even that last bit there, I'm putting it as a direct quote. It's going to appear on my wall someday. You're not as important as the important people in your life. I just thought that was absolutely class. So, yeah, thank oh, you very cool. much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, like I really miss Belfast. I really miss Northern Ireland. I really miss the people, and I particularly miss established coffee. Um, so hopefully this year, twenty twenty, we will get back for a visit. Um, and I'm looking really looking forward to getting back into Northern Ireland. Awesome. And thank you very much for all you guys for listening along. I really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to listen to over 90, yeah, we're, we're at that point now, flip sake, over 90 incredible conversations with people from Northern Ireland, just like this one you've heard with Ruben, you can head to bestofbelfast.org. All the information you could possibly need on the planet is there. And thanks again for tuning in. And Ruben, good night. <laughs> good night. Good morning for yourself. Uh, uh, yeah, good morning. Good day to you, sir. I feel like uh, when you when you do like a thing like that, I feel like a real talk show host where it's like, hi, I'm uh, Matthew Thompson and it's a uh, good night from me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Over to you in the studio. Hi, guys. I'm Rob and I'm from Queensland and I'm a proud member of the Best of Belfast Producers Club. I listen to the podcast for a number of reasons. I love Belfast, Northern Ireland and the country and the people in it. I have a connection with Northern Ireland as our family came to Australia in the 1800s from the beautiful county of Fermanagh. I love what's going on in Belfast, the entrepreneurs, the innovation, the technology and the spirit. My favourite podcast is definitely the Tim Brundle episode, although I do have many other favourites. I support the podcast financially because I believe that quality work deserves fair financial support. It's important that we continue to hear about the amazing people of Northern Ireland and what they are achieving. So if you've been sitting on the fence about joining the Producers Club and you would really miss Best of Belfast if it wasn't here, as I would, I highly recommend considering joining today. You can do so over at bestofbelfast.org. And I look forward to seeing you in the WhatsApp group soon.